here's the fact. We are all salespeople and we use it much more than what we think we do because it's not just about buying a product or service in exchange for money. We try to get jobs. We try to get promoted. We try to hire people. We try to get our ideas heard. We try to tell a team to focus on a project and lead them. We try to find a romantic partner. We try to keep a romantic relationship alive. All of those are beautiful examples of sales. And if you do not acknowledge the beauty that can come from selling, you're missing out on one of the most powerful tools that allows you to have human connection. And so I urge people to reevaluate their relationship with sales like their life depends on it because it's an essential part of us communicating between each other and seeing that the best idea can win. And when you embrace sales and when you know what you're talking about is going to offer more value than what you ask in return, whether in time, money, or, um, or risk reduction, then you have the duty to go and make the, the conversation speak the language that's necessary for people to understand what you see that they do not yet. Hello, my name is JJ Rescas. I am the host of Optimizando Me, or Optimizing Me in English, a space where we invite top performers, thought leaders on different areas to learn from their stories, their habits, routines, their success, their failures, and mostly to learn from their mindset. Our guest today is a warrior of enlightened sales, a man whose expertise in the world of sales and marketing positions him as one of the most sought-after thought leaders to learn from in this space. He was the host of the formerly known Superhumans at Work podcast in collaboration with Mind Valley. Nowadays, he is the author of Selling with Love and the host of the podcast with the same name, a space where he connects with other experts on topics of leadership, team building, communication, productivity, and so much more. His adventures in the world of business took him through many ups and downs, and we are going to talk about them today. With a profound understanding of human psychology, he is a man on a mission to optimize the world by teaching companies to care more and to do business in alignment with their values. Without further ado, let me introduce you to Jason Mark Campbell. Hey, Jason. JJ, thank you for the wonderful introduction. It's my pleasure to be here. Can't wait to get started. Perfect. Let's go with it. So who is Jason Mark Campbell and what does it mean to you to be a salesman? Let's go with that. Yeah. Well, um, as you said in my bio, you know, a bit of the things that I do now, uh, but as far as who I am, you know, the, the very short of it is, you know, grew up in Canada, small town, had a chance, you know, going through university studying business just because I didn't know what else to study. I think I had three paths at the time, which was either going into business, going into mathematics and going into computer engineer. And I think at the time I based my decision on which one I think would allow me to find a girlfriend more. And I thought business would have been the better choice. In hindsight, I'm pretty sure being an engineer would have been actually really powerful too. <laughs> But I, it's funny, I, I remember about graduating university, still not knowing if I was supposed to do something specific. What was the career path? And under a, a kind of happens chance is my sister was a manager at a real estate company and I went to do an interview there. The boss, the, 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 the creator, founder, 
was a big, big advocate of sales. He was a quite the salesman himself. And he told me to get into a position where I had to do telephone sales. Now that can seem terrifying. And the first calls that I made, my God, I was shaking so much when the first person I called and I had to read a script ended up hanging up on me. And I felt like, oh my God, I can't do this. This sales thing is not good. Um, but then luckily I had support came in, said, no, the, the boss came in right at that moment, said, listen, this is not how it usually happens. Try again. And I think that's very interesting because we have a lot of fears of rejection that come with sales. And I was lucky to be in a position where when you do telephone sales, you do a lot of different interactions. You talk to a lot of people in a very short amount of time. So you get to face your fears quite rapidly. And, you know, long story short, ended up building my own company, uh, buying U.S. real estate in my early 20s, working for a company called Mind Valley that you alluded to. And now I'm on my own doing my, you know, I have my book that came out and I want to help others, you know, really fall in love with the process of selling. And, you know, when you ask me, you know, what is a salesperson and what does that mean today? A salesperson is someone that wants to do an energy exchange with other conscious beings. That's how I define it. And when you talk about selling with love, I always want to remind people that when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's when you come from a place of love, which I think is a powerful way to sell and solve so many problems we see on the planet. Hmm. And a part of your story, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, early when you were younger, you had a, a little bit of a problem with a scam or you got scammed, I guess. Well, what happened? Because that is clearly a side probably that many people will have taken from the universe of no this is not my path yeah it's interesting in hindsight i look at that hiccup right we'll call it a hiccup and you would think that you know after such a hiccup it could be something that completely closes you to a certain aspect in my case it would have been sales it could have closed me off completely from considering sales after i seen what salespeople have done to me but instead it became the catalyst to me really wanting to put this book out there because I think we can do better. I think that there's a place for ethical businesses to grow and to do wonderful with the techniques that exist in sales. And in doing so, there won't be a space for these companies that take advantage of people who don't know any better. And so in my case, young 20s, didn't know much better, but I was excited. I wanted to make money and there was an opportunity to do so with real estate in America. Now this is back in 2010, so you would be familiar with the great recession that happened. So following the Great Recession, so many foreclosures, short sales, and I ended up going to a seminar, you know, and teaching us how to buy U.S. real estate. And I got into the coaching program, you know, paying close to $20,000 or a little more than $20,000. So I was with my best friends. We went down there and we started buying properties. There was somebody they introduced us, which was supposed to be this cousin who had just sold a business and had tons of money. They were going to fund every deal that we, had, we, we were going to buy. And it was only after we spent a day, put a ton of offers on properties. We had a bunch that were probably going to come under contract. They put us in a room and recorded a testimonial of our experience. And we are like shiny, shiny eyed, you know, in that testimonial room, just going like, oh my God, it was an incredible adventure. They, they brought the person with the money. They showed us a ton of properties, blah, 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 blah. And the short of it is that the moment that testimony was recorded, that cousin disappeared, never followed up. And uh, they ran that piece in infomercials across Canada. And I realized that most of the things I'd been taught were actually not the ethical way of transacting real estate. They cut a lot of corners. And I just came to a point where I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Everything I've been taught was wrong. 
And I felt like my whole foundation had been ripped from under me. So that, that led to a painful time, JJ. Um, and I talk a bit more about it in the book, but it's, uh, it's a time where I found myself, you know, having to give up the business to one of my partners, having to work on myself, find a different arrangement. Matter of fact, it actually put me in a position where I was quite scared of entrepreneurship because it rattled my foundation so much. It was not an experience I wanted to have again. Hmm. I, I bet. And how was the healing process or the emotional healing process and what made you decide and give it another chance, right? Yeah. Well, you know, in the process, I actually uh, realized that I was probably suffering from a depression caused by stress. So I, I seeked help, you know, I, I went to see a doctor, I explained the situation. Uh, they put me on some medication, which I was really resistant to taking because I felt weak having to do so. But I realized it was circumstantial and it would support me. And I felt like I needed support at the time. So I did. I followed what the doctor told me. I saw a psychologist for a few times. And then I changed my environment. And what happened is I was under so much pressure to make all the things I was already putting momentum into. And I wanted to make it right. I did not want to wrong towards the clients I had sold to. Even if the knowledge I'd been given was wrong, I had to go figure it out. And it was very stressful because I had to rewrite like reread tax codes and what happened is there's a group of allies that surrounded themselves around me my, my business partners were extremely supportive and we all held held on while we were trying to figure out what we were doing there's people that were title agents and i often mentioned tony singleton she was an angel that really helped me understand the title process there's lawyers that came together accountants that came together property managers came together there's a whole lot of really amazing human beings that kind of surrounded us. And because we had put in so much momentum, they came, they supported us. And I ended up creating a lot of progress. Like I look back at that situation now and that stress that we were put through that scam ended up being the biggest blessing I've had in my life because I look at it this way. I choose to see like, oh, I'm a victim, you know, and this happened to me, poor me, or, you know, I can choose. I'm not talking to the people who do this anymore. And I think, you know what, maybe, just maybe I can create a scenario in my head, which is maybe they knew that I was able to get out of this. Maybe they knew the way to make me take massive action was just to throw me so deep in the ocean that I had no choice but to learn to swim. Now, I was quite beat up when I came to shore, but I did learn so much in the process. So now I bless that experience, knowing that it's not only allowed me to fix everything that was wrong with the clients I had sold properties to and made things right. But it also gave me this fire to do what I do now, this contribution I want to make in the world, which is how do I create a place where ethical businesses get to succeed more so that these kinds of scenarios don't happen because people can naturally find themselves flocking towards ethical businesses that have learned how to sell effectively. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, it, it makes me think, if that event, if that hiccup would not have happened, we would not have this, right? There would not be books like this. So let, 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 us, let, let me bring us in, into this world. But by the way, I will have to connect with you in person to get this one signed up, whether it's in, in that part of the planet or over here. So well, I do hope to stop by Austin. I think it's a beautiful city. So if I come down to Austin, we'll definitely get to connect and I will sign that perfect. up for you. Thank you, thank you, Jeff. So, how did you start with sell, selling with love? Which is uh, first the podcast, and now it's becoming an entire movement. What, what is it now? Let's let's get uh, forward in time. Yeah, well, selling with love as it stands right now, it's it's a community, it's a book, it's a podcast, 
And it's a way of doing sales that I think is actually going to help so many businesses pivot to the new way of doing work. Sales is one of the branches, but there's a new world of work that's emerging. And you're seeing it across the board where there's these great resignations that's happening. New startups get to overtake these dinosaur industries because the pace of change is extremely fast. Consumers are demanding more and more, and they're not tolerating the crap from before. And so in the area of sales, the same thing. So there needs to be a way to level up. The problem is most people don't know what that looks like and if it's even possible. And so what I'm really trying to advocate in the book is actually how people can acknowledge and realize that there is a way to sell beautifully. There is a way to sell with integrity and it does make a massive impact. And that's when you go out and sell with love. But as far as its origins, it's so interesting. You know, I, I would assume your community might have uh, an openness to spirituality and, you know, call it divine intervention or just downloads, channels, whatever label you want to put it. But it, it started from such an, ah, such an innocent little idea. And it's interesting because I could have made a choice to just leave it at that, but I decided to water that idea and it's become what it is now. But that idea came because there was somebody at Mind Valley. We had these things called learn days. And once in a while, we'd have a professional that would come in and teach on a certain topic. Well, it just so happened that every employee at that company had this exercise they did called the three most important questions. And they all listed what are the things they want to grow in order to achieve the experiences they want in their life. And there was a group of people that had written public speaking is a skill they wanted to nurture in order to experience the things. They felt like this was something they wanted to overcome, get better at, myself included. So the company decided to bring an amazing public speaking trainer, one that had trained people that do debate competition and public speaking competitions in Malaysia. Well, for those who are familiar with Valley and know the founder, Vishen Lakiani, that trainer happened to be Vishen Lakiani's mother, who was this professional speaking trainer. Not a coincidence that Vishen Lakiani is also a great public speaker. So here we are on the way to the office when we were going to be doing a five-minute presentation. We were told to prepare this five-minute presentation. And like I said, I don't know what came to me, but I just remember how so many people just knew me as Jason, the guy who loves to sell. And they'd be like, Jason, he's always selling. He's always got enthusiasm. He has a smile on his face when he sells. So I was like, selling with love, love selling, uh, I think I just jotted it down in a notebook. And I was like, at the time I was thinking about three different pillars. It was like, love the client, love the product and love yourself. That was it. And I just got on stage, did a five minute talk. And the people were like, oh, that was really good. And that was it. It was just a whisper of a presentation that I came up on a taxi ride while going to the office. But then I was like, I think this can grow. I think this, I don't know, there was an itch. It wasn't just a talk that I made up because I've made up a lot of talks. I, I'm not going to lie. I can, I'm usually good at just putting together some ideas and making a presentation. But this one had a different energy behind it. So I decided to nurture it and water it. And that started with going to Toastmasters, working on my public speaking skills. Toastmasters and independent organizations for people to learn public speaking even better. And I practiced that speech. And then some coincidences started to happen. One of them being that A-Fest is a flagship event at Mind Valley, where top level speakers and crowds of hundreds go out in a paradise location and hear some of the best ideas. Well, I was at A-Fest, but I wasn't an attendee. I wasn't a speaker. 
I was a volunteer staff member taking care of the audio visuals at the back of the room for the speakers. I was the kid putting the microphone on speakers like Lisa Nichols or Don Miguel Luis. And like, I was just there, but I had prepared this talk. And I remember going to the organizer saying, I'd love to give a talk on stage. And they're like, who are you? Why would you go on? Why would we put you on stage? You're a nobody. Like we need to put world-class speakers. And I said, I prepared something amazing. And if you give me the opportunity to get on stage, I will blow everyone's minds. They're like, great sale, but no. But then, yeah, they were like, go backstage. You got a job to do. Well, again, this little divine intervention happened. A speaker canceled and there was an open slot. And then I went back and I said, I'm ready. You should put me on stage. I think you just got a message. They said no. And then they decided to bring another speaker instead who was coming in from Italy. Well, person comes to the border, border stops them, doesn't have his proper documentation. They decide to refuse him entry to the event. So I go to them and I'm like, listen, you've had two interventions and now it's too late because it's the day of and you need to fill this slot in a couple hours and I'm ready. I prepared the slides. They're already loaded for the presentation because I control that. You have nothing to do but just tell me to go on the stage and I promise I'll do well. Well, JJ, I went on that stage. I delivered a 20-minute talk and it got rated the best 20-minute talk of the event. And you can find this one on YouTube, Selling with Love, Jason Mark Campbell. It's from 2015. And it's got over 30,000 views. And that was the first time this idea was unleashed and people loved it. So I kept nurturing it. Wow, I didn't know that that video is that uh, that presentation, that basically impromptu that you were saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here. If you pay close attention, I actually didn't have really nice shoes. So you see me in some very colorful socks on stage because that was what I loved back then. I used to wear these crazy socks. So if you watch that video, pay attention to the socks and tell me if it's a good idea or a bad idea. <laughs> okay, I will take a look. Hey, thanks for that story. I didn't know, I, I knew little parts of it, but you just gave me at an, an overview that is fascinating. I really appreciate it. And it's very inspiring because like you said, your your careers your career as a salesman could have ended with the scam. It could have ended even it could not have been nurtured to the point of having the book, having the, the podcast and so on and so forth. So what is it in your mind in those moments when the majority of people would have given up? Well, I remember when I was at AFES, for example, and that they didn't pick me to be a speaker, but I said, I'll prepare like I have to be a speaker. And I think there's a lot of times these opportunities are always passing by but we're just not prepared for it. So they don't look like an opportunity. So for example, I mean, as I mentioned, I have experience in real estate and, oh, sorry, I'm going to sneeze or not almost a sneeze, <laughs> but I needed to prepare everyone instead in case the microphone gets loud. Let me, let me share a story about how I ended up building my own property in Bali for an investment. And Again, it speaks to being prepared. I was in the gym here in Bali where I live and there was a gentleman that was there and somebody said, oh, did you know that they're real estate builders? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I start talking with them. We become friends and they're like, oh my God, we have this plot of land. We're looking for people that want to be early investors. 
And I'm like, oh, well, let me look at the numbers. I had experience in sales, uh, sorry, in real estate. So I looked at the numbers, it looked good. And the biggest thing that usually gets you a good deal is how quick you can move money. So I said, well, when this project, you're ready to pull the trigger. If you make me a good deal, I can move money within 24 hours. And they're like, whoa, okay. I contacted some of the old people I'd done business with before. I still had their trust. I could guarantee, you know, quarter million dollars quite easily. I was prepared. The opportunity came and now guess what? I funded it. We're building it and it's going to be an amazing, beautiful property. But if I wasn't prepared and somebody would have said, yeah, they're a builder, that would have registered as nothing. And if you're walking around and living life saying like, there's no opportunities that ever seem to come my way is probably because you haven't prepared for anything to come by. So you can't even notice them when they happen. So I would say that in my case, I'm very curious in nature and I listen and I realize, you know, especially with the way that I teach sales, sales is all about solving problems for other people. So I'm always curious to hear what are the common problems that people have. And if I see that the problem they have can be solved and there's a margin between the value they get and how I can solve it, then that's profit and that's a sales opportunity. So I keep my ears open and I see that where I go and where I want to deliver products or services to get into business, I try to see areas where there's those market opportunities and I stay open to it. Mm. Uh, what you mentioned is fascinating. Um, for several years, I traveled as a digital nomad and it was fascinating to see in different parts of the world how locals were not taking advantage of clear business opportunities while foreigners from other countries, they would come, they will see it and they'll take it right away, right? And uh, now that you mention it, it is this eagerness to, to solve problems for people and it comes now, after reading your book, now I understand that it comes from a deep, deeper place, not only from the, from the selfish place of I need money or I want money. So let's get a little deeper into that part. When I started reading Selling with Love, I had this idea of a salesman, and it clearly reminds me of one of my trips to, for example, Colombia, when there was this Colombian uh, street salesman who was trying to sell me something so hard and I could not say no because I didn't want to say no. At the end, I, I paid the money, but I felt bad with myself, right? It's like, and when the word salesman came to my mind, that's the first thing that I associated with. After reading your book, things changed. So let me, let me ask you, how does that work? Or how did you figure that out, please? Yeah. When you go through my book, you actually start understanding that in every sale, there's an emotion, right? And already you've mentioned that when you were in that sales interaction out in Colombia, you had a negative emotion. And what happens is that not everyone is in a position of abundance, or if I use a term that's even more triggering, not everybody is in a position of privilege to be able to be open to the idea of selling with love. I have to open that. I have to speak more about this because it's the biggest topic in my book that creates discomfort and the biggest discomfort that I get within my theory. Because when you're in a position of privilege where your basic needs are met, you can actually have your mind be open to accepting new ideas, taking bigger risks, and thinking that you can play a longer-term game. See, that salesperson in Colombia, they were not doing the most effective way at selling their product, but they were doing the only way they knew how and the only way that would bring the money now. And if you don't know any better, that's how you sell because you need to put food on the table, you need to pay the mortgage, you need to pay the rent, whatever is the 
cost that you have in your life, when you're selling at that level, you're basically doing it from a place of survival, right? It's, it's very hard for you to step back and being like, well, I'm a street vendor of trinkets and I don't know what is it that you were buying, but you, you're not going to have that person being like, I'm going to go pick up 20 sales book and I'm going to build a business plan and I'm going to go and do this. That's something you can do once you've taken care of your basic needs. And so even when you see these expats are able to move into a different country and they can see all these different opportunities, a mind that is relaxed for not needing to be on survival mode can tap into the prefrontal cortex, can prefrontal cortex, can connect the dots, can see opportunities in times where I can't see opportunities if I'm working hard every day and trying to make ends meet. I have a stress that's in place. I have a fear that's in place. So I do need to acknowledge that. And I would say for most of the people that get an opportunity to listen to a podcast, you can already acknowledge the abundance that you have. Time, you can learn. Here you are. And so I'm hoping that what you'll realize is you can make the choice to sell with love, knowing that maybe you won't squeeze as many sales in the right moment, right then and there, like that person was trying to do with you in Colombia. Because the fact is that person probably, for 100 people walking by, maybe they sell to 10 people because they're so aggressive. And if they were less aggressive, they might only sell to seven. And that's a big difference for them. But by being less aggressive, maybe in the next five days, out of those hundreds, 20 would actually come to buy, but they'll never know. Because they squeeze the sale from everyone and alienate everyone else that doesn't buy. Everyone else that doesn't buy, they will walk around him. They'll they'll evade him. They'll be pissed off at him. And so... This is why when you can be in a place where you can step back, realize there's a better way to sell. It's selling from a place of love. When I do it, it's not as many immediate returns, but what the long-term brings is amazing. Not only can it bring more abundance for you, but when you sell from that place, one of the concepts of selling with love is when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, then love is the emotion that's felt on both sides. And that has a spillover effect of creating more efficient transactions, which means less waste of energy in every transaction, which means it lifts the tide for everyone else on the planet. There's a subtle positive ripple for every sale made from love. So you end up indirectly helping the people that might not have as much luxury, abundance, and privilege as you because you're lifting the tide for everyone else by making sure more value is exchanged and less waste happens. Hmm. Wow. Let's let's add up with the gist of what selling with love is. Can you explain a little further for the audience, especially for people that like me, maybe or like many other people have this uh, love-hate relationship. They know they want to sell something, but it's like, oh, right. So let's dive into, into the gist of the book, please. Yeah. Well, there's two things to re- recognize when you want to be selling with love. One of them is the fact that you want to press on the gas. You want to go faster. You want to make more sales, right? The other aspect is actually taking our foot off the brake. And I think for the majority of the listeners, before I even tell you what the five loves of selling, you need to understand what not selling with love looks like and why do we have it exist. So in my book, I speak, I think the first chapter is why you hate selling. And it speaks about the guilt and shame blockages that we have in the ways that we sell. And this can come in various forms, but the more basic ones I identify are when you have a terrible product that you're selling for a very high price, you might face shame and guilt blockages. 
And I'd consider this the healthy version of shame and guilt because if you're ripping people off, you should feel something bad, right? You should not want to sell that. And it's a signal to tell you to do better. But most cases, people are blocked because they have their own fears of rejection that stop them from selling, often coming from childhood programming and stereotypes that tell us that if you ask too much, people will hate you. There's the classic story I like to share about, you know, a child, is a child a good salesman, JJ? Well, they are, give me money, give me money, or give me this thing, give me this thing, or they are constantly asking for something, but in a, I wouldn't say that a pushy, but a more selfish way, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And that, so I often say children are great salespeople. They're just selfless. They're not, uh, sorry, shameless, shameless, right? They have no shame. They'll ask, they'll follow up, they'll follow up. They're not paying attention to the buyer and client's needs. There's a, I, I wanted a game console, right? As a child. So let's say a PlayStation. There's a, no a, N64. I was more of a Nintendo guy back then. And, uh, you know, the, the stereotype is that we go like, mom, dad, please, please, please. Can I have it? Can I have it? But imagine a great salesperson child would say, mom, dad, sit down. I wanted to have a conversation. I've noticed you're quite stressed at work and you're wondering, you know, what am I doing with my time? If I'm going outside, am I getting into trouble? Imagine if you would know that in the comfort of my home, I'm actually getting entertained, getting mentally stimulating, connecting the dots, playing these amazing puzzle games that come on the N64. You'll feel less stress, less anxiety. It's extremely cheap to buy. And you'll know that I'm learning, I'm safe, and you will feel better about your day. Wouldn't that be a good idea? <laughs> Said no child ever. But that would be, an, a, that would be you know, focused on the other. But a child, when we're there, we're probably just act, taking about our own needs. We're being obnoxious and just repeatedly following up. But at some point, a parent gets tired and says, no means no, stop asking. And it's very interesting how so many people struggle with follow-ups when it comes to sales. You don't want to be bothering people too much. You don't want to ask, um, if I call them again and they didn't answer last time, are they going to be starting to hate me? Like there's a lot of negative programming that happens. And I know for you know a lot of your listeners that continue into your episodes talking about the emotional healing and the mental healing that's required, that's a big part that we need to look into. Now. There's another way that this manifests, which is when I hear people, you know, I say salesperson, what, what's the first thought that comes to head? And if it's like you, JJ, you have that harassing salesman in Colombia. A lot of people speak about a used car salesman, a haggler, all these negative associations. And so I often talk about, you know, what if we take away the label salesperson for a second and look at some of the most inspiring people on the planet that are really making a big impact? I'm talking about the top entrepreneurs. The, the top influencers, the top business people. And when I ask this question, I often get the examples of Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs, um, Marianne Williamson, whatever it is that are some of the idols you look up to. And you can quickly realize that they also wear the hat of the salesperson quite well. But what's interesting is they do it in their own way and they are not labeled a salesperson, but they inherently all sell. Yet here we are putting sales in this little box over there has nothing to do with us because we know sales to be that evil thing that those manipulative slimy people do. I don't want to be one of those people. So anything about sales has nothing to do with me. And we kind of create it as shadow material, right? If we're using spiritual language, but you need to reintegrate it because here's the fact 
we are all salespeople and we use it much more than what we think we do because it's not just about buying a product or service in exchange for money. We try to get jobs. We try to get promoted. We try to hire people. We try to get our ideas heard. We try to tell a team to focus on a project and lead them. We try to find a romantic partner. We try to keep a romantic relationship alive. All of those are beautiful examples of sales. And if you do not acknowledge the beauty that can come from selling, you're missing out on one of the most powerful tools that allows you to have human connection. And so I urge people to reevaluate their relationship with sales like their life depends on it because it's an essential part of us communicating between each other and seeing that the best idea can win. And when you embrace sales and when you know what you're talking about is going to offer more value than what you ask in return, whether in time, money, or, um, or risk reduction, then you have the duty to go and make the, the conversation speak the language that's necessary for people to understand what you see that they do not yet. So selling is a language. It's neutral, but we can do it from a way that's much more positive than being stuck with these shame and guilt blockages. So that's one of the major breaks that I see people have when it comes to selling. Since we are able now to heal our relationship with sales and clearly we must do it because we are organisms, we're entities that we're in constant exchange of resources with the environment, right? It would be it would be naive and, and foolish not to fix the relationships because we are hardwired to exchange some kind of energy with others. Now, um, it can come from this this place. The, the emotion, like you said, it, it could be wrongly put as as something that was resentful, rejection, etc. Or it can come from love. Now, so let's dive a little bit into selling with love now from that area. Well, I will highlight that there's two other major emotions which we can discuss later. But if you are over these blocks, which I think is what majority of the people here might have. Let's go into a light side and see something fun, which is the five loves of selling that I speak about that allows you to come from a place of love much more powerfully whenever you need to sell product or service or yourself, getting a job, whatever it is. These are going to be the things that you want to bring front of mind and gain clarity on so you can be more powerful in the way that you show up, feel good about selling and do it with enthusiasm that people will be like, oh my God, this is contagious. I want to be a part of this. So. The first love in selling is to love the impact. Love the impact of every sale you make. Now, this is really key because once you start with impact, you'll notice that it'll give you the clarity to do everything else you need to do to make a sale successful. And what I mean by impact is being very clear on the client that you serve first. What's the impact that's going to happen from them getting your product or service in their hands? So, for example... I do a lot of sales consulting and training. And I know as an impact for my clients, I get to actually help them get over their blocks around sales. But I go much deeper than that. I really start taking a moment to journal. Well, what really happens to them when I do this? Well, for one, as independent sales representatives, they get to generate more money and income for themselves. As business owners, they get to move more products and services that allows the company to grow, thrive, and succeed. They get to avoid bankruptcy that happens if you don't bring enough cash flow into the business. They get to have less stress knowing that their finances are taken care of with a consistent stream of sales that comes in. 
And I go on and on on bringing all these benefits. You, you would typically call this a benefit list, but think one-to-one. I have a client, what happens to them when I sell them this product and service? And the more you take the time to itemize this, get clear on that, it allows you to really look at it and go, oh my God, I really need to sell this. Look at the transformation it's going to provide for them. But I even take it further. And I suggest for people to look at the ripple effects that happen from every sale that you make. What are the indirect derivative effects that happen from every sale? Well, in the case of me, I think about, wow, by growing the business and selling more of their products and services and the fact that I only deal with ethical businesses, that means there's more ethical products and services that get brought into the hands of people that want to solve their problems. That's great. I also get to see that more people get hired at this company and get jobs from this company because they're generating more profits and they get to grow and scale, helping a local community actually find more employment in places that people truly enjoy and that make a positive difference in the world. That's more juice. And I call it juice in the sense that you're looking for more reasons to get you excited about selling. And I take this ripple effect like really far. I go all the way to the ripples that happen on the world scale. If I continue to do this, and you have to ask yourself this, if you would be repeating these sales to thousands of people, millions of people, what would happen? Well, in my case, I start thinking, wow, if the whole world starts understanding the principles of selling with love, then we're seeing ethical businesses have no blocks from bringing their products in the hands of those who need it. These scammy, douchey marketing and sales organizations have no place to survive in the marketplace because the great companies shine, stand out, and transact with the people that are looking for those solutions. So anybody taking advantage or delivering subpar services do not have a place in the marketplace. We're seeing more and more of these love transactions creating this ripple effect, raising the tide for all, and we're genuinely focused on solving real problems on the planet. That are ripples that I get excited about whenever I speak about my topic. And I encourage everyone to take a moment to get clear on the impact from a direct-to-customer, a ripple, and a world impact level. What is the next level if the first one is love the impact? Love the impact. So once you've done love the impact, one more thing I'll talk about that is don't neglect the self. Think about the impact for yourself and don't make yourself a martyr in the process of pursuing this mission. Think about the benefits that you want from selling. In my case, I love what I do when I help people transform in selling. I love making money that gives me a lifestyle that I could only dream of as a child. I live in Bali. I have clients that love what I do for them and I make a lot of money doing it. Fantastic. So make sure you take time to get clear on your own impact and the benefits you want in your life so that you can acknowledge that it's okay to have abundance for yourself, especially when you're bringing all this value to your clients and to the world. So I just want to make sure people are clear on that, especially if you have this self-worth gap. This is going to be an important one to focus on, and we're going to be getting back to that towards the end of the loves. Now, that closes off the impact. The second love in the five loves of selling is love the client. And this deserves its own category because... To truly show love to the client, no, I'm not saying start a romantic relationship with every client. I'm saying the way to show love is to understand the client. So start really getting curious about what are their lives like before they encounter your product and service? What do they look like after? What is the pain that you solve for them? 
how painful is it? Does like, have they been coping with it? Are they not aware they have it? Who are they? What is that person? And have conversations with them. Get so curious to understand them so that the moment you get really clear on that, you will know what value you provide to them and it'll help you so much on the way you want to design your product because you genuinely understand the people you want to serve and then you will know what you need to create that will genuinely serve them the best way. Mm. Oh, I get it. Okay, it's, 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 okay, let's go to the next level. So we have the impact. <laughs> we now understand the client. The third love of selling, I've already hinted to it, is to love the product. And it's very interesting and relevant that product is only the third love because you need to start with impact. What is the problem you want to solve ultimately? Then you want to go into who is the people that have this problem that you want to solve it and understand them fully. Only then do you start thinking, well, what's the product I should design for that? Because this could manifest in very different ways. And I was speaking to Tucker Max, who's the uh, one of the co-founders of Scribe, who's a book writing company. They helped me with my book. And as an angel investor, he sees so many people are so stuck up with their product that they forget that their actual, pro their actual reason to exist is to make an impact, solve a problem for somebody. And so if you're too product focused, you're going to miss the mark. But once you've done the impact and the client part, then when you get into the product is you don't fake it. You know, you hear fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. Don't fake it. Make it. Make your product so awesome that people will naturally see the value into it. And you'll be excited about selling it because you know that it's a great product. Now, I do understand that some might be at the beginning stages of their business, but here's something I have faith in. If you're listening to a podcast like this, you're probably someone that wants to build a business from the heart. You probably want to do it in a way that is ethical and that actually makes a difference. And if you're at the beginning stages, you might not have the experience that gives you the competence, that gives you the confidence to be able to sell. But that's okay. I want you to know that everybody starts somewhere. And I know you're going to do what is necessary to get the experience, to be able to practice, to build this product in the best way possible. And I know, I just know that whatever client you're going to get, you're going to go above and beyond to ensure that they are happy. Your first clients are going to be the ones you're going to put more time and attention and care because you really want to bring them to success. These are your case studies of tomorrow. So just because you lack that experience, don't let it be a reason to hold yourself back from building the best product you can for now and then explaining it with authenticity and integrity to the people about exactly what you plan to do. For example, some of my first clients that I ever had, I said, listen, I don't have a sales page. I don't have a website. All I know is there's a methodology that I love which is about selling with love. And I'd love to work with you to show you that it'll make a difference in your business. I would like to charge you $10,000 for this, but I'm willing to get started to work with you right now. And I'll only collect the 10,000 from you once you feel I've given you more value than this cost. I want you to be happy to cut me that check. And the person said, well, of course, let's do it. And I started working for them for about four to five months. They had radical transformations and amazing insights. And they also started getting more curious and they started working with other consultants, et cetera. And I'll, I'll make an admission, JJ. They never paid me the 10,000. We actually stayed close friends. We get in conversations together, but they offered me some of their products and they called it a fair deal. I never went to collect the 10,000. 
But the way that I showed up on every call was like this was a client. And the experience that I got from serving them was amazing. And now I get to list them as a case study of a client that I've worked with. The money wasn't important to me. It was the refinement of the product and the momentum that the action provides. So if you're stuck feeling like you don't have enough experience, would you feel more confident if you had 20 clients that you've tried your method, refined it with? If the answer is yes, then remove any and all barriers to get you to make 20 sales to 20 clients in the way that you take on the risks so you can actually build that experience, which will build your competence, which will build your confidence to go out there and sell it more enthusiastically when you're truly ready. And this part ties up with the story that you told about being prepared to be a speaker, right? Because you were ready to do everything at the at A Fest, even if there was they were not going to pick you up, you were ready to do it. Basically, you were doing exactly the same here, and you got the opportunity. You were when the opportunity showed up, you were totally ready. Yeah. And I knew they were in a bad cash flow situation. So I wasn't counting on collecting the money. I was counting on getting a client and using my method on them and seeing what results it would bring. And I'm extremely happy with the value I provided to them. I forgot about the 10,000. It wasn't important for them to pay me. That wasn't important for me to sell it and anchor my value at $10,000. Extremely important. Jason, I really, really appreciate it because with my team, we have been having a conversation around the topic and you're providing so much insight. I really appreciate it for that. Let's go with the, with the next one, please. All right. So already we've covered three loves. We have impact, client, product. These are the three first foundational loves that you want to have in place before you have permission to go to the next love. And here's a problem. I spoke earlier about how there's more than just shame and guilt blockages when you don't sell from love. There's another one that's called fear pride paradox. And the fear pride paradox is when you make sales effectively because you've learned the process of selling, but you don't care or take responsibility of the impact that those sales make on the customer. This is where you see these negative personalities around sales, such as the wolf of Wall Street, the used car salesman, all of those impressions of sales that are quite negative because they seem to do it so selfishly, but they use techniques that are so manipulative. Well, that's because they maybe have fallen in love with the fourth love in selling, but they neglected the first three. The first three are the anchors you want to have in place to make you so foundationally ready in making sure that you're here to provide the impact and deliver the value that only then you need to fall in love with the fourth, which is love the process of selling. Now, because you've done the additional work, here's where you get excited about everything that you do to help you sell. What are you doing to build traffic and awareness? You get to host a podcast. You get to connect with amazing people that allows you to grow your channel, that give more information to your clients or potential clients who will see more value in you and potentially become a lead. And how do they become a lead? Well, maybe that I have these white papers, PDFs, meditations, inner circles, communities, method, different tools that you have to bring people closer into the sales process, which may lead you to a point where you might do a sales conversion, which you might do through a webinar, through a one-on-one -on -one conversation, an on-site visit. There's multiple mechanisms you can use to convert. All of those are part of the sales process. All the space of marketing, social media, sales, direct sales, all of it becomes an exciting part of the process of selling. And you have no resistance to using it anymore. 
it's not like, oh, but I don't know if I should call them because if I do, I don't know if they want to buy it or not. You say, no, I know the impact. I understand this client. They're definitely the right fit. The product is perfect for them. So I'm going to call them because I know when I do that, it's another opportunity that I'll be having a discussion with them where I can speak the language that'll be necessary for them to understand the transformation they're about to have. That is huge shift in energy. So I get enthusiastic. I've had a series of sales calls this week and it was so fun for me because I've built a product that I'm so proud of and I've got a clarity on the impact that it does. And I start to understand my customers so well that I'm on calls with them and they're telling me things like, well, I need to sleep on it. I need to think about it. I don't know if I want to buy it. And I'm like, that's fine. But let me make sure that I understand you better. I get to ask them questions. I get to handle their objections. I get to ask them for their credit card number on the phone because I truly know that what I'm going to give them is so much more value than what I'm asking them to pay in return. And I've put in mechanisms to reduce the risk. All of those beautiful activities that I'm very aware our sales mechanisms and processes become so fun to use because the value gets delivered the moment I make the sale. That's what happens when you start selling with love. Wow. It is basically you're describing a, an art performance in that regard. You have no idea how I love singing. <laughs> I bet. And I actually, I wasn't going to ask you about that question. I want to be respectful of your time as well. Is that okay if we do 15 minutes or 10 minutes? I might cap it at 10 more. 10, perfect. Okay, let's do that. Perfect. I'll, I'll do it at eight so that we have two minutes to upload the video. Thank you. So let me go back to that. So let's do some rapid fire questions. I know this conversation would would go for for hours on. So going back to the last part that you mentioned, I wanted to ask, what is the narrative in your mind when you are in the process of sales? What are any body sensations that you have? Can you have you ever thought about that? Have you become real? Have you realized that? Have you become aware? Well, I definitely feel like a state of readiness, right? Um, it's like, it's a flow state. I can only describe it as a flow state. Like all of the things that I've done so far from knowing my impact, understanding my client and building a great product makes me have zero barriers to enter a flow state. Matter of fact, me describing it a few minutes ago was probably me jumping into my flow state right there. I fall into a trance of excitement and this is it. Most people say, if you want to get good at sales, you got to show enthusiasm and excitement. If I just tell you, be more enthusiastic, you'll be like, okay. And it feels weird, but it's when you get that clarity, right? There's a, there's a quest that I did with an author called uh, Stephen Kotler. Uh, yeah. And it's all about flow state. It's called the habit of ferocity. And it's like you start tack, you, you start stacking your curiosity, purpose, passions, and you start putting all these motivators that trigger you into a flow state. And when you do the exercises that I'm telling you around selling with love, you're in essence stacking all those motivators, right? Especially the first one. Like the first one is just making you go, oh my God, I need to sell this. So the natural question after that is, well, to who? And then once you found the answer to that, and it's like, well, what? And then the natural follow-up to that is, well, how? Now you've got yourself the answers for you to go out there and be relentless. And they talk about, you know, don't be so pushy in sales. 
It depends. I have no problems being pushy. I remember there was this one gentleman said, I always sleep on something before making a decision. I said, no problem. Tell me what you need. They're like, oh, can you send me a proposal? I say, yes, I can. But I'd love to know, is the proposal the only thing that's on your mind or is there something else at play? Continue the conversation. And I make an offer and said, listen, let's take your credit card information right now. We'll make you take this action so we can get prepared. If there's anything down the line, you can get a refund. But I want to bring you into this category, which I call client. And the moment you become a client, you are in my care. And that changes our relationship. And I want to start this relationship now. And they get up, they get their credit card. That is a beautiful thing. But it's interesting. I did a I did a video into my community today about how there was another lady, same thing, wasn't planning on paying. We had a 15-minute conversation. She took out her credit card and she was like, I wasn't planning to do this. And I said, you know, the title of it is, should you take somebody's credit card in a 15-minute conversation? And I said, that's not the point. The same way as you don't evaluate, it's like, can you, can you do a marriage proposal in one minute, drop on a knee and ask for, will you marry me? It's like, yeah, that's the close, but that's not what gets you the yes. These individuals have followed me over years, listening to my podcast, coming to my challenges, reading my book, seeing me show up on social media, seeing me show up when I speak to them one-on-one. The consistency is there. The attention is there. The trust is there. I have the permission to say, let's get started. It's not a 15-minute conversation. You hear somebody like, learn the tactics to do this, this, that. There's a whole baggage of things that you do to build your brand, to show up consistently with integrity that allows you to be able to come with confidence. And I've mentioned this before, it needs competence first, and it needs the activities you do consistently to build your business, build your brand, but it all starts somewhere. For me, it started with an idea in a car that led to a little stage with my coworkers that led to doing AV at the back of a room, to being on a stage, to refining it, to now finally being a book. This is a this is an eight-year process. So we need to be a little more patient as well. Thanks, Arthur. Thank you for that, Jason. Next question. Who sold you something recently that improved your life? Basically, that loved you by selling it to you. Hmm. What I will say is it was a it was a beautiful opportunity that came to me. I was asked to host a webinar and help introduce a speaker and sell their product at the end. And it was a product on cryptocurrencies. It was a club for trading. And I'd played with cryptocurrencies a long time ago, but I hadn't touched it in a while. I was always keeping an eye on it, but I never excuse me. I never got motivated to really get back into it. But then I listened to his presentation, which was a pitch for his club, but it actually motivated me to say, hey, I just need to take action on crypto. So I started investing in crypto again, and I've had fun doing it. I'm investing with my partner. We get together once a week. We look at prices. We pick a, we pick a coin. We invest into it. And I'm super happy to be able to put my money into something that I really want to see the future become more of which is concepts of decentralization, trust built into the system. And so I was sold by that person to get back into this idea of crypto, which is why I say sales sometimes is just about selling an idea to someone else. Hmm. Okay, we're getting to the end of this. And Jason, I have so many questions that honestly, I would I would suggest to get a second part of this. But I, something that I wanted to basically thank you for is that thanks to your book, 
my own perspective of, of selling is changing. I know that this book, Selling with Love, is written with love in the first place. And the, taking the, the different concepts of identity creation, it's funny that now I have my identity, that, that, an identity that it is, I am an, an amazing salesman. And when I say it, I feel this, this potential that is coming up. And that's thanks to you. I really appreciate it. And with your permission, JJ, I'd love to give a sure. gift to your listeners and to yourselves as well. Please. Um, what I've done is I put together a link, which is uh, sellingwithlove.com forward slash optimizadon. Uh, nice. oh, sorry, optimizado, right? Is that oh, how we perfect. say it? Yeah. Optimizado. It's, it's a little more com- no. optimizado. Just Wait. go for it. No worries. Opti- <laughs> no, op- say it again. I want to say it correctly. Optimizando me. Opt- uh, optimizando me. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So I've created a link forward slash. So it's optimizando me. And uh, if you go there, the first chapter of my book is available for free. And I put together a meditation. It's eight minutes and allows you to connect with your buyer persona. It's a powerful thing you can do just before you get on a sales call or you want to do research on your client or you want to send out that email. It's a powerful way to get into that sales state. Thank you so much, Jason. And so where can we find you on the internet? Jason Mark Campbell, sellingwithlove.com. Those are my names. Uh, I'd say sellingwithlove.com is probably the easiest thing you can do. And uh, you'll find me, connect on LinkedIn, Instagram. I'd love to hear from all the listeners and be able to help more people that are looking to sell with love. That's my mission. Thank you, Jason. One last question. If you would leave the audience with a question to optimize their lives, what, what would that question be? I would ask them, in any time that they're selling as a habit, whether it's you're trying to convince somebody of something, an idea, is to ask yourself, what energy am I coming from? Or what emotion am I coming from? Is it shame, guilt, fear, pride, sabotage? No. Are you coming from a place of love? That's ultimately the answer that you're looking for to know that you're moving in the right direction. So you're asking someone out for dinner. Am I coming from a place of love? You're selling a product to service. Am I coming from a place of love? You want to go to the gym in the morning. Are you coming from a place of love? All of the decisions we make, we often even sell ourselves, right? The little angel and the devil on the shoulder. Every time you ask the audit question, which is, am I selling myself with love when I make this decision? You'll know if you're on the right track or not. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Anything else before we depart? No, I just hope this uh, was a value for all you listeners and for yourself, JJ. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, guys. It was a fantastic conversation that we had today with Jason Mark Campbell. Well, you know, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you want to connect with Jason Mark Campbell from Selling with Love and all his, uh, his content, I do truly, truly recommend it. So give it a thumbs up to this this, uh, interview and subscribe to receive notifications for upcoming interviews. And uh, that's all for today. Keep learning, keep optimizing, and see you soon.